Well, good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We are so glad you came and joined us this morning. And uh, how many of you kids are really, really happy to be here? Okay, yeah, I paid my boys to put up their hands. Um, maybe some of your adults are wishing maybe you were at home as well, playing with the kiddos and all these new toys. But I think it's so good to come together as a church and to worship. Um, and I think that Christmas season is, for many of us, a very busy season. It is a chaotic season. But it is also an opportunity for us to slow down and to remember God's greatest news, history's greatest news, and that is Christmas. Um, thank you, Trinity, again for reading that passage of Scripture. And today we want to look at history's greatest news. What does it mean for those that received it in the first century? And moreover, what does it mean for us today? Let's open in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending your son. John 3.16, a verse that we, many of us have rec, uh, memorized and we recognize, says that God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Christmas is about that news. The good news that none of us have to perish, but all of us can have eternal life. Thank you. Jesus, for becoming a man so that you could identify with us, that you were God with us, and Holy Spirit, thank you for indwelling those of us that have accepted you, or accepted Jesus as Savior. And God, I pray that you will be with us this morning, that we will be encouraged, and that our eyes will be drawn to worship. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the passage of scripture today is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. Um, just a little bit of a side note. One of the uh, things about being a pastor in the, during the holidays is it kind of seems like every Christmas the sermons sound the same, right? Or every Easter the sermons sound the same. So today is not as much about um, preaching and, and giving us new information it's about slowing down and remembering what is Christmas all about. And so, for many of you, this probably will not be new information. But my hope for us this morning is that our hearts are drawn back to the real meaning of Christmas. What is Christmas all about? And how is it relevant to us today? As I already mentioned, the topic of today's sermon is called Christmas. History's Greatest News. I think most of us, when we hear news for the first time, we, we wonder, is it going to be good news or is it going to be bad news? And this proclamation that the angels brought to the shepherds was good news. So let's take a look at uh, these verses, verses 8. And so if you have your Bibles with you, um, you can follow along. Luke chapter 2, verses 8. And so we start in verse 8, and Trinity read that to us for, for us already. And it says, God reveals himself to the shepherds. And this is the first part of the good news. And that is God reveals himself to everyone. So just a little bit of historical context. Who were the shepherds? The shepherds were those that had the jobs that nobody else wanted. So I don't, I, I don't know what the modern equivalent would be, but it would be the jobs that no one else wants to do. 
They were often those that were not well educated, and so maybe they couldn't get a, a job uh, doing the jobs that everybody else wanted, and they were maybe people that didn't mind being by themselves. They weren't people that minded living a dirty life and being out in the fields and, and watching over livestock. But society looked down on these shepherds because they were kind of seen as those people that couldn't quite make it in a real job. And I think we have an attitude similar like this today for some people's jobs. So God's greatest news that Jesus is born, and we see the count of that from verses 1 to 7 in chapter 2. God's greatest news, where does it come to first? It comes to the shepherds. People that we as society and society at that time considered to be the lowest of people. And I think in this we have the great news that God shows no favoritism. Romans chapter 2 verses 11 says that God does not show favoritism. So I don't know where you are at and maybe this Christmas season is often a time where we reflect on where we are and maybe for you this morning, I don't know, maybe this is your biannual church attendance day. We come on Christmas, you come on Easter. Maybe you've wandered away from the faith or maybe you're considering wandering away and your faith is weak and or maybe you're this morning, you're considering yourself as being maybe like those shepherds, the lowliest of lows, the people that maybe other people look down on. The good news has come to all of us, and it has come especially to the lowliest of lows. Another thing that we see that the angels came to the shepherds, and the shepherds were not in the city. So they were, they were out in the country. They were out in the fields, and we don't know how far out of, the, out of town they were. We don't know how far it was. But they were a people that lived and worked outside of where other people are. And I think this is a great picture for us, and especially for this Christmas season, as maybe some of us are trying to find our way back to faith, and we have drifted away from where we would like to be. The Bible teaches that Jesus has come, to seek and to save the lost. Jesus doesn't just go where everyone else is. He goes to where those that need to be found are. And so the angels go to the shepherds. And then in verse 9 to 13, we have the good news that the Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. So what is a Messiah or, or in, in uh, some translations, it translates it as the Christ has come. What does it mean that the Messiah has come? The word Messiah or Christ means the anointed one. So Messiah has its uh, root in Hebrew, and Christus or Christos is uh, more of a Greek word. So they mean the same thing, and it means those that are anointed by God to save on God's behalf. So the name Jesus actually means Savior, or, um, or one who saves, and it's similar to the uh, name Joshua. And so a Messiah has come, and that's the great news. The good news is the Messiah has come. One of the things I find really interesting about when the angels come and they, they find their shepherds where they're, where they're working, first of all, 
God only sends one angel first. And he doesn't send all of the angels at the same time. He sends one angel. And one angel is standing in front of the shepherds. And what's the first thing he says? He says, do not be afraid. I think many of us, when we think of God sending news to us, many of us maybe assume by default that the news that God is going to bring to us is going to be negative. Some of us have upbringings where the, the holiness and maybe the wrath of God is emphasized over the grace and love of God. I don't know what your background is, but very often we assume that when we're going to get news, it's going to be bad. One of the stories I remember reading as a child, and I don't remember a lot of stories that my parents read to me or that I read as a, as a boy, but one, I don't know why, it kind of just sticks in my head. And it's a story about a young boy, and uh, maybe some of you children can relate to this, or young kids. Stories about a boy, he's about nine years old, and this boy has one big problem. He's a, a tad lazy, okay? How many kids in here think that you're pretty lazy? Anyone? Okay, that's way too many hands. How many parents think their kids are lazy? You don't have to raise your hands. Okay? But this boy was uh, lazy, and, and he had figured out that when his mom called him, usually it was because his mom wanted him to help with the chores. And uh, the mom would call his name, and he would pretend he didn't hear. And parents, this sounds way too familiar, right? Oh, I didn't hear you, right? And so he would ignore his mom's wishes, and then the mom would have to come and find him and, and ask him to do whatever he, she wanted him to do. Well, this one time, this one afternoon, again, the boys just started playing with his toys, and again, he hears his mom's voice. And his mom is calling him, you know, come into the kitchen. I, I want something from you. And so he again pretends that he isn't hearing anything. And so his mom stops calling and he continues to play and it's supper time. He comes to the table and his mom says, where were you? I was calling for you. Your grandpa showed up and he wanted to take you fishing. And the boy missed out on the fishing trip. Maybe it's the fishing part that I missed out on, or maybe that's the reason why it's stuck. But I think many times we are as that little boy. We are assuming that when God calls us to himself, God is reaching out to us. It's because he wants to put a load on us that we don't want. So God comes to us and says, do not be afraid. The news I give you is not bad. It's good. And I think many of us, we have to adjust what we assume God wants of us. John chapter 3, verses 17 to 18 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world. We don't need help with being condemned. Verse 18 says we are condemned already. If we are sinners and all of us are sinners, that is our starting point. And so Jesus didn't come to remind us to really press home the point that we are condemned or to really 
exaggerate our condemnation, we are already condemned if we don't believe in Jesus Christ. But Jesus came so that we would not be condemned. He came with good news. So what is the good news about Jesus? If you go in Luke and you go a few chapters further in Luke chapter 4 verses 18 to 19, Jesus declares why he came. So this is the good news of Jesus. Luke chapter 4 verses 18 to 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came, in verse 19 it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Other translations say to proclaim the year of God's grace. God's reaching out to us. God's favor. Good news. Not bad news. Good news. So there's a few things that Jesus is saying he has come to do. First thing, he says he has come to proclaim good news to the poor. I think one of the reasons why Jesus loved the poor so much is because he knew the poor could not pay him back. This morning or this afternoon or yesterday, whenever we are opening our gifts, I think those of us that gave the gifts, we would feel insulted if all day long we were asked how they could pay us for the gift that we gave them. And I think part of the, the thing that God loves about the poor is that the poor have no means to pay him back. All of us are spiritually poor. And we have no means to pay God back. But that is why God has come in his grace to bring the good news for us. Also, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, so that we become the righteousness of God. And that's also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20. So Jesus became poor so that we could be rich. That is truly good news. Further, Jesus says he came to release the prisoner. So what did Jesus mean with that he, he came to release the prisoners? Are we now to go and open the doors of all the prisons? Is that what Jesus came to do? I think he gives some context to this in John chapter 8, verses 32 to 34. He says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the truth is going to set us free. What are we to be set free from? He continues, And then the Pharisees answered him and says, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slave to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It is the prison of sin that Jesus came to set us free from. So we are set free from this prison when we place our faith in Jesus Christ 
for the first time. So to use the, the prison analogy, and this works for what Jesus is talking here, suppose you were in prison, and you were in prison for something that you did wrong. Jesus comes to you and he opens the door and he welcomes you to be set free, to go free. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus was born as a baby, grew up to be a man, and when he was a man, he went to the cross willingly, paid for the penalty of our sin, so that we could be set free from having to pay for that penalty ourselves. So we are set free. But then Jesus continues in verse 18, he says, and to set the oppressed free. Some of us are in that prison and we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ for that first time and that prison door is open and yet we see that open door and yet we're stuck in that room because we are chained down by all kinds of things. Jesus did not only come to open the doors to the prison but he also came to break those chains that hold many of us back. And so in the picture is Jesus opens the door in our conversion and he comes and breaks those chains as we follow him through life and that we can live in freedom. And then uh, he continues um, back in Luke chapter 2. The angel says that a Messiah is born. So he calls this Messiah three names. First, he calls them Savior. What would this Messiah, what would this Messiah save his people from? Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 and 23 says this. She will give birth to a son, and you to give him the name Jesus, because, and this is what Jesus' name means, he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus, the name Jesus, in those days, people gave their children's names that meant uh, what they wished for that child or what that child represented in their lives. Jesus' name means the one who saves. What will Jesus save his people from? He will save them from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Secondly, he will be called the Messiah, or the Christ. The Messiah comes from the Hebrew word, and the Christ comes from the Greek word, and they mean the same one, one that God has anointed to be that Savior. He is the one that is sent by God. And then thirdly, he is going to be the Lord. He is the Lord. And Lord is, we translate it from, um, from the word heros, and it means that it is the one that reigns over, or, or is the one that gives leadership to. And in English, it's kind of this old uh, word that we used, those that um, ruled over lands. They were the lords. And Jesus was to be Lord of those that he came to save. So this is not in a way where God is now a dictator or Jesus is a dictator. He's asking us to willingly come under his leadership and to follow him. And here's your sign. He says, if a child is born, that's pretty obvious. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes, meaning that he is going to be wrapped in 
regular children's clothing for after they're born. But the one thing that's going to really stand out is that he is going to be born and he's going to lay in a manger. How many of you moms out here would love to have your first child in a barn? Anyone? No volunteers? Right? This is something that is very out of the ordinary. And this will be the sign that this is the Messiah. And this circles back to how God revealed himself first and foremost to the shepherds who were of the lowliest of lows. Because God the Son would be born in a stable, which is the very lowliest of lows. Then the angel continues. So he says that the Messiah has been born, he has come, and it's great news. Then he continues and he says, Jesus came to bring peace. Glory to God in the highest heaven on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so here we have this language again, God's favor rests on us. Do you know why Jesus came to be our Savior? It's because God's favor is on us. God did not send Jesus out of obligation. God the Father didn't have this huge um, heavenly eye roll and then send his son Jesus to save us from our sins. It says here that peace has come because God's favor rests on us. The Bible is so very full of phrases like this. Favor rests on us. God's grace has appeared to all men. Over and over, God makes it so very obvious to us that he wants a relationship with us. He wants to save us. Not because he feels obligated to, but his favor lies over us. I think in English we have two words that don't really mean the same thing. And those of you that are married can maybe identify with this. There are times when we love our spouse, but we don't like him, right? And then there are times that we love our spouse and we like our spouse. God loves us. And this is a thing that many of us maybe have a hard time accepting. God likes us. God's favor rests on us. And it is because of God's favor that he sent his son. So the angels proclaim peace on earth. So peace in this context means two things. First, it's peace with God. So the Bible teaches us all of us are sinners. We are born um, with a sin nature, and as we live life, we sin, and that sin separates us from God. That sin makes us, the Bible teaches, enemies of God. And yet God in his love towards us, his favor towards us, sends Jesus so that the broken relationship that is between man and God can be restored. That peace can be brought back. And peace is a way of saying a relationship that is broken, there's restoration, there's reconciliation, and then that relationship is at peace again. And so... God brings 
peace between man and uh, God. Here's the thing about peace, though. God is very good at bringing peace. But mankind is very poor at keeping it. I uh, came across, as I was studying for this, there's been over 8,000 peace treaties signed that they, they, can, they can count on uh, in the last four to 5,000 years in recorded history. But 8,000 peace treaties. And I think we, as we look at world history and maybe we even see what's happening in the news, many of us really become skeptical of we hear in the news a peace treaty has been signed. And we just add it to 8,001, right? And so we as mankind, we've been very, very poor. We've done a very poor job of keeping our peace treaties. Peace is not just something that we force on other people. It's not just something that we decide. It's something that needs to reside in our hearts. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pre present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Is this Christmas season going to be a time of peace for you? A kind of peace that transcends all understanding. This is the news that the angels brought. And that Jesus came to give peace that transcends all understanding. So as we gather as family and some of you go off to gatherings... And you may, may have that one brother-in-law or that sister-in-law or that sister or that parent that you're just not getting along with. Or maybe there's just this restrained relationship in your life. Christmas is a time where we are reminded that this gospel that Jesus came to preach is one that brings peace. And then it says, the other angels came and joined in. It says a multitude of angels. We don't know how many. And uh, just for you uh, that love Christmas carols, the angels weren't singing. They were saying, I thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, we, we sing and the angels sang. But it says the angels said and they, and they were praising God for the coming of this great news. And then we see in verses 17 to 18, that this good news needs to be shared. Verse 18, 17 18 says, And when they had seen him, and so the shepherds go and they, and they find the Christ, they spread the word considering, concerning what they, what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So we see here that first, the good news is presented to the shepherds. Then the shepherds go and they investigate the good news. The shepherds accept the good news. And then the shepherds go and share the good news. What was the response of those that heard the good news? It says all who heard it 
were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. What was so amazing about what the shepherds shared? I think one of the things that was amazing about what the shepherds shared is how the good news had transformed these shepherds. Let's be reminded again who the shepherds were. These weren't the top tier of society. And while God doesn't look at people and, and judge them and give them worth according to what they do, we as society often do. And they were amazed that God came and he transformed those that society maybe didn't see as valuable. And they marveled and they wondered at what God did. So our testimony, as we go and share Christ with others, should cause people to wonder, to marvel, and to be interested in Jesus Christ. One in verse 19, something I think is a, a verse for me this Christmas that, has, um, that I really thought um, deeply about. And it's verse 19. Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And this is another thing about the good news. The good news needs to be personally understood. How many of us know Christ only at a head level? We know about him. We can maybe give theological answers to questions people have. If we were in an argument about if Christianity is true or what God is like, we would be able to give an answer. But do we ponder? Another word is, do we meditate? Do we let it kind of sink in? How precious this good news is. It's, it kind of gives us perspective. Mary is one of the, the main characters of this whole story. She is the mother of Jesus Christ. She's not the mother of God, but she's the mother of Jesus Christ. And she's such a central character in this whole story. And yet, we have Mary, we get this picture, she kind of draws back and she thinks over, what does this mean for her? And as we go into Christmas season, and many of us are going to be scrambling, maybe from gathering to gathering, I want us to just take some time today. Or whatever we have time, and maybe this evening, to sit and to ponder. And I know ponder is kind of an old word. It's an old-fashioned word. But to meditate. So that we can come to understand the good news of Jesus Christ. And then, verse 20. And this is how I want to wrap it up. Christmas should be a time of worship. The good news should cause us to worship. What is the most appropriate response for the grace that God has given us? It's worship. It's not service, although service should be an outpouring of it. Sharing of our faith and what God has done, as the shepherds did, should be part of it. Pondering and letting it sink in should be part of it. But worship is the ultimate response to the good news. Coming before God and saying, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. And there's this interesting wording and language, and we see some of the, 
the shepherds' hearts. It says in verse 16, and they hurried off. There was a, a sense of urgency and excitement. And how many times have, do we not have the very opposite heart inclination towards worship? Whether that be corporate or personal. Is there a sense of urgency about worship? Do we have a sense of excitement for thanking God for what he has done? And especially now in this Christmas season, let us take time to worship. And then this worship that the shepherds experienced right on this first Christmas day, it says they went out and they continued to worship. Verse 20 says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the language here is, it's a continued, continuing thing that they were doing. They weren't just, you know, they went and told their neighbors and then they went back home. It was continued worship. It was continued sharing. So let us not, you know, celebrate Christmas and then tomorrow we go back to our normal lives. As we celebrate what Jesus has done in us, this coming of this good news, let us continue to worship. Continue to praise God for what he has done in our lives. So as I conclude, what is this Christmas going to be like for you? And I know some of you are going to be maybe struggling with this message of Christmas being good news. And maybe for some of you, you're just trying to get through Christmas. Everyone else seems to be having so much fun. But you're struggling to have fun. Christmas is not about the gifts. It's not about the gatherings. Those things are often helpful in helping us to celebrate Christmas. But Christmas ultimately, is about worship. Let us not forget that. And as we gather with friends and family, can we be ministers of that peace that God has given to us? Let's close in a word of prayer, and then we are dismissed. Jesus Christ, thank you so much for bringing the good news to us. This is good news that the angel said that we're for all people. And God, I pray for this Christmas season. I pray that you will help us to celebrate with joy, with generosity, and with worship. And I pray for our community, God. Christmas is often a time when those that are struggling are reminded how bad they have it. But Christmas can also be a time when we reflect and we realize how good we have it. God, I pray that you will use the generosity, the love, the grace of those that profess Christ in Leamington to proclaim your glory, your gift, and your good news. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.